Welcome to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham, a podcast dedicated to established business leaders like you, ready to bring more meaning into your life in a way that strengthens rather than threatens the financial stability of your business. I'm your host, Bessie Graham. I've worked with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies like the United Nations for over 20 years to bring doing good and making money back together. So let's unpack why you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life. Welcome back, everyone. Lovely to to have you with us. Today, we're going to get really practical and get into some of the the nitty-gritty details around what it actually looks like to do good in the world through your business, but taking a team focus. And so, to explore that with me today, I have the extraordinary Kelly Roach, who is going to talk to us not just from the experience of what this looks like in one company, but from her experience across multiple companies. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bessie. I uh, I feel very honoured to have you here with us because you're someone who I've not only had the privilege of watching from afar, from online, but I've also been able to work really closely with you one-on-one and spend a bunch of time uh, in the US together over the last year. So it's a a real pleasure to be able to have you come and, and talk with us today. So thank you so much. And for those of you who don't know Kelly, she is one of the only female founders of an online company who has gone from zero to eight figures without any debt, investors, external funding. And so, while there are a bunch of people jumping into the online space, that kind of growth and to do that without external help is pretty rare. And so, it's amazing to be able to have uh, the level of experience that you have, Kelly, in that space. And I know that you're on your way to the nine-figure mark, and I have no doubt that you will smash that. (laughs) That's the dream. That's the dream. I'm wondering, um, Kelly, if you want to jump in, when when you think of the the aspects of you've gone from, you know, the way you frame yourself, former NFL cheerleader, Fortune 500 executive, now you've moved into that space of being the eight-figure online business owner and leader. Could you talk to us a little bit about what that evolution has looked like and particularly start to weave in for us some of the components around the beautiful focus you have had on your team from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because I would say that really is the unique differentiator in my approach. You know, I I fell in love with building teams when I worked in the Fortune 500 and I built a team from basically zero to 100 and had people with me from the entry point of their career as new college graduates. And I was responsible for grooming them and mentoring them and growing them in the company and ultimately moving them into positions of leadership and you know up through the organization. And there's still people today uh, back in, in the company uh, that, that I groomed and elevated that are in leadership positions there. And uh, I think that most people don't realize that 
there's such a massive amount of good that you can do in the world uh, with your team. And uh, when you have a dream that's big enough that other people can fit their dreams inside of it, you create this beautiful container, especially for those of us that are entrepreneurs, you create a space for other people that are also entrepreneurial, but don't necessarily desire to have their own businesses, but want to be a part of a cutting edge organization that does good in the world, that is testing and reframing things and reinventing, uh, which is, you know, it's a very different work style and work format than say like a, a corporation. But, you know, for me, my approach has always been uh, a team led approach. Uh, and I think that, you know, they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I learned that really early on in my career. And I carried that from my corporate experience into the entrepreneurial world. And I think that's been just a huge advantage is the investment and perseverance to build a winning team, which is, uh, it's a difficult task and it's far more difficult today than it was when I was in corporate because culture is different now. Uh, people are different now. And so it's, it's a far greater challenge today than it was 20 years ago when I started building teams in, in corporate. But um, I've gotten to see team members of mine that um, now invest and are investors. I've gotten to see team members buying multiple homes and properties. And I've gotten to see team members that take care of their parents and um, all sorts of amazing things that are possible through prioritizing team within your company and empowering them to learn from you so that they can achieve their goals and achieve their dreams. Yeah, there's there's so many interesting aspects there. One of the pieces that you just mentioned, which kind of took my brain off in another direction, was that the point around some of those components that were difficult about building a team, but that you saw the value in it. Mm -hmm. I'm having so many conversations with leaders at the moment where I'm trying to talk to them about this aspect of figuring out the difference of when something that is a strength of yours shifts over into being a shadow, like this aspect of those pieces you discussed that are the difference between someone who is the entrepreneur, the leader, someone who's built a business, and then someone who's in your team. And often, if we start to see those as one's better than the other, or that we always behave in that way, it actually can have the opposite effect on us. And so, I think that shift, particularly in the time that you've been in that online space, the world has become far more obsessed with entrepreneurs and everyone wants to be yeah. an entrepreneur. So it's a, even as the leader or the business owner, I think that's a, that's a part of our own personal growth is to sort of come to that place where you recognize your own strengths, but you create that beautiful environment you're talking about that allows others to bring their equally important strengths to the mix. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think so many entrepreneurs struggle because their businesses emulate and, and replicate their own strengths and their own weaknesses. And each of us have unique talent and a unique gift, right? But if you look at a business, a business is like, it's like I always think of it like the face of a watch when you lift open the, the top of a watch and you see all the gears and all the moving pieces. You know, there's hundreds of little things that are working together underneath the face of the clock that no one sees, right? And that's how a business works. And for so many entrepreneurs, I think one of the reason that uh, burnout is so prevalent in the entrepreneurial space is that 
when you are a victim of your own strengths and a victim of your own weaknesses, it's really, really hard to build a sustainable business. So when your strengths are at play, it's a high high. And when your strengths um, are, you know, to your point, like showing your shadow, you're, it's a low low. And for me, I think that just over the years, continuing to develop my own awareness of my strengths and weaknesses and being very clear about who I need to surround myself with that has an opposite perspective from me and has a different skill set than I do so that I can live in the zone of my genius and can rely and trust upon experts um, who are the best at what they do. Uh, that's been super, super key, but I will say it's not as easy as it sounds. And I think that's the rub with all of this, right? Because your point, Bessie, the world of entrepreneurship has been over glamorized for people becoming entrepreneurs. But the most dangerous part of that is that employees that are stepping into entrepreneurial companies don't know what they're stepping into. And so it's a really, really big risk. And no one's talking about this. You know, back 20 years ago, if someone said that they were joining a startup, people would say, you're crazy. You're going to work 100 hours a week. You're not going to make any money. You're going to be in a company that most likely is going to fail. You're probably going to end up back on the street a couple months from now. Because 20 years ago, people understood that entrepreneurship is risky and a lot of businesses don't make it, which is still true today. 85% of businesses don't make it. And so there was an awareness for an employee going into an entrepreneurial company that they had to be so deeply tied to mission and vision and the passion behind what they were doing that they were willing to endure the risks that go along with that. And now when people join entrepreneurial companies, because entrepreneurship has been glamorized so much in culture, people don't know what they're stepping into. And I experienced this in my own business. When we were booming and we were growing, I had a lot of people join my company that they wanted to be part of the success they were seeing on the outside. They didn't want to be a part of the process of what it took to create what we were creating on the inside. And I paid big time, big time for that. Um, and it didn't make me any less of a believer in team. I still, it's my, it's my favorite thing about business. Like I, I love working with my team. It's what brings me joy. Um, but it is important to understand how much culture has shifted and that, you know, you have to be really careful because this has been glamorized and people don't realize what it takes when you see a brand out there that looks like it's doing these amazing things and everything looks zipped up and beautiful and perfect on the exterior, the battle, the battle that's going on inside that company all day, every single day to get to that outcome is completely misunderstood. Yeah. And then people are like, I thought it was gonna be this. This isn't what I signed up for. And you're like, no, I told you it was gonna be this. You didn't believe me because you saw that, right? So it's it's a very interesting time in culture right now, for sure. Yeah, and there's such a, whether it's around this obsession and romanticizing of entrepreneurship or whether it's how it's so easy to make money or whatever these pieces are, we've had this disconnect between the connection of risk and return, that when you take some risk, there's return connected to that. And I think those pieces are tricky too as the entrepreneur or the business owner, that, that and this weaves into the complexity or nuance in the conversation around a team focus because it can turn into that aspect where 
people are expecting to have all the rewards of being the business owner without the risks. And so that piece of trying to figure out the the way to do that well, again, in my mind, just highlights how important it is for us as the leaders to be doing incredible work on ourselves in the process. Because as you said, it's not a straightforward path. For sure. I mean, you you just have to be so open to looking at all of the ugly parts. <laughs> Right. It's just you can't get there otherwise. Um, and it's a constant pr- process of, of getting better. And, you know, I think that in early stage of building a business, when people are showing you different pieces of the business, you like want to defend it and you want to say no, but and you want to say, you know, I, you know, you're offended when people say, but you can't grow that way. You, you have to be able to hire a team that can show you all the ugliness. And you have to be willing to accept it and be willing to invest time and money in fixing it. And I think that's an, another really important thing. You know, everybody likes the idea of having team because they want to get things off their plate and they want to make their lives easier. And that's great. But the flip side of that is if you're going to have team, you have to be willing to invest the time and the money into things that naturally may not be your choice. But in order for the team to succeed, there's so many things that need to evolve and be cleaned and scrubbed and constantly reinvented in order to create an environment in which people can succeed. But the flip side of that is then when you find people that are your people, which I am very blessed and very lucky that I I have found a lot of those people over the years and now in in multiple companies of mine, they're kind of sprinkled into different businesses of mine. You know, when you find those people, Um, you really truly never feel alone, you know, in entrepreneurship and you have the capability of doing things that allow your vision to come to life in a way that it never could have because you couldn't have done it by yourself. And, and for the employee, many employees that work in entrepreneurial companies can achieve potential in their lives that they never could in a corporation because they have the ability to have entrepreneurial freedom and autonomy and creativity and be stretched in ways that they would never be stretched in a corporation. But again, it's like, it's a double-edged sword in every way because for a lot of people, the uncertainty and the the pace just makes them insane. They can't, it, it, it just, the overwhelm of the the pace and the agility that's required for some people that's just it's never going to work and then on the flip side for people that have a strong entrepreneurial spirit but they just don't want to be the owner they want to be the number two or they want to be the business leader or whatever the case for them it's like it's their dream right and it's their home and it's their place where they can achieve all the things in their life that they want to but all of this to say Bessie I think that one of the biggest things that I see every day in the entrepreneurial space is I think so many people get burnt out on team because it's not a straight line. You're going to go through a lot of the wrong people in the process of finding the right people. And if you think about it from the perspective, this is how I like to think about it. If you're trying to do something in the world, you're trying to play on the level of impact where you're affecting the world at a 1% level. You are creating change in the world. You are doing something revolutionary. That's 1%, right? 
right? 99% of people are not going to be the right fit to link arms with you on that project. And what happens to a lot of business owners is they get those people in the 99% in their company and it's not a fit and it doesn't work out. And then people say, oh, you know, team is so frustrating and it's so aggravating and it's, it's so hard and it's so expensive. And this person burnt me and this person screwed me. But it's like, you have to realize that if you're trying to do something at this level, you're going to go through a lot of people to find your people that also have that level of like vision and tenacity and perseverance and creativity for what they want to do in the world. It's most people see a job as a means to an end. You're looking for people that see a job as a means to create impact and change and good in the world. And that is only 1% of people. And so it makes sense that it's only a small fraction of people that you hire for your company that are going to end up being those people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think too, there's an element in that, Kelly, that's around, there are components that also connect to the stage of growth the business is at, but also where we're at as a leader, because we can read things in a book, have a whole bunch of very definite ideas around what's important and how we will lead and how we'll show up. But you do have to go through experiences where something goes from just being a theoretical idea to lived experience and then you're able to allow yourself to be human in that as well. And I know that you speak about uh, the five stages of building your team and there's sort of these components of when you're starting out and you just need helpers and then you move to employees and you kind of work your way up. Are there, when we think of this aspect of the critical role of team and their connection to the fact that if we've created a culture where when the business wins, the team wins, and we're starting to have this mutually reinforcing aspect to our business, are there different challenges or different ways you connect with your team and understand what they even want or what their well-being requires in those stages that we need to think about differently if we're in the stage of having helpers as opposed to the stage you're in now where you actually have a full-blown executive team across different businesses? Yeah, it's such a good question. I I mean, I think at the end of the day, what it comes to is this. You have to reinforce the behavior that you want to see in your company. And I think people put far too little thought into how are they constructing an environment that creates a simultaneous promotion of all interests? You win, the clients win, the company wins, the team wins, right? Everyone wins, right? And, and thinking about that in the way that comp plans are set up, rewards are set up, incentives are set up. Um, and that does need to change constantly throughout all stages of the business, which is I, I always tell people like when you set up plans, you only set it up for one year at a time because when you're a small business, you're not like a corporation where they can fixate because they are so deeply established that there's incremental shifts each year, but not massive ones organizationally. Whereas with a small business, a year is like a decade. And so, so much change transpires in a single year that you want to be able to update that. But I think it begins with an awareness of the importance that whatever you incentivize is what you're going to drive. That's number one. Number two is that there has to be variances because to your point, Bessie, different people are motivated by different things. Like I can think of my top two leaders in one of my companies right now. One is motivated by money. The other one is motivated by time with family. And so these are two completely different incentives, right? So if you ignore that, 
Yeah, if yes. you ignore that and incentivize the person who wants time with family with money, you'll yes. miss the whole point. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's then taking it to that next step of asking those questions and gaining an understanding, and then talking to people about okay, you know, how can I show up for you in a way that is going to support um, your dream fitting within the company vision, so that you feel like everything that you're doing is moving you forward in your life. Because I think at the end of the day, what we have to remember is. Humans are humans are humans are humans, right? So when people feel that they're progressing towards their life and personal goals, they feel good. When people feel like they're not progressing towards their life and their personal goals, they feel bad. And so it's as simple as that. How do you create an environment in which people feel like they are progressing towards their goals? And I look at when I was first starting in in corporate, and I was taking over a lot of new branches and I was doing a lot of turnarounds. I had high turnover because I had to replace a lot of staff. And when you're in early stage growth, you're replacing and replacing and replacing until you get the right people. And then once we got a firm foundation in place, we established a leader, we had some of the lowest turnover in the company and people stayed and they grew and they would get promoted and they would get promoted and they would bonus year after year after year because once people get in an environment where there's a direct correlation between what they do and moving towards their life outcomes, they're going to want to plant their feet and they're going to plant their feet for as long as they feel like they're moving forward. And I think it's really important that as entrepreneurs, we understand like that's what we're striving towards. We're striving towards creating an environment where that simultaneous promotion of all interests, doing good for our clients, doing good for our team doing good for our company, it's all driven the same way. It's not separate things. So we know that every time the company has a profitable month, our clients are winning and our team is winning, right? And, and so then it's not, how do we figure out how to do good in the world, right? We're doing good in the world because Absolutely. everything that we're doing in the company is allowing our team to move forward with their personal and professional goals. It allows us to reinvest in better and more effective servicing strategies for our clients. And ultimately, the client is going to get and stay profitable. But, you know, I think there's so many stages of that and most businesses never get there. And I think for a lot of business owners, Bessie, they'll say, you know, many business owners may be in business 10 or 15 years and they haven't gotten to that yet. And it's simply because that was just the level of awareness that the business owner was at. Like, it's not, I think a lot of business owners might listen to this conversation and say, but I've been in business for 15 years. And I've never experienced that, but it's, it's not that you've been working on that for 15 years and you haven't gotten there. It's that your level of awareness of thinking and strategizing and planning this way wasn't there. Now your awareness is raised. So it's like, yes, it might be year 15 for you, but this might be the first year that you're really, truly beginning to think in this way about team, about how you're doing good for team, about how that impacts your clients and your company. So I just think that's an important like awareness shift because you can be doing something for a long time, but if your focus and intent is not directed in a certain way, it's not that you weren't successful at it, it's that you were not yet aware. That was not where your focus and intent was at that time. Yeah, I remember hearing a story of someone describing a similar piece where they had been doing something for 15 years, but when they looked back, because of the jumping and changing they were doing, they said they actually had 15 versions of one year experience. They didn't have 15 years. Like, so there are very important aspects to what you've just 
explained, which speaks to the the heart of how we create these integrated business models, where, as you said, we're thinking of the connections between each of these parts and not seeing them as disconnected. That combined with the very long-term strategic focus around we're very clear on where we're going, we're aware that this is going to have different chapters or cycles to it is so critical because, as you said, otherwise you could either give up or feel really down on yourself if you're in that phase of you're you're getting the wrong team and it's not working and it's expensive. But if that's seen as a part of the journey towards getting the right team, then I think that allows you to get the results that, and I know I've said this to you before, but that it's really exciting watching where you're at now with your companies and to be able to say that is on the back of absolute grit and determination to stick it out and push through those difficult phases. That doesn't happen for us as business leaders. Like some people, there's flukes of timing and things and it can look like it was intentional, but it wasn't. But we can't bargain that that will happen for us. So it's it's a very important distinction, I think, Kelly. Yeah, it is. And I think it's important too, because I think so many people give up um, and they say, oh, there's no good people out there. No one wants to work hard. I hear that all the time. And that's not true. There are, there are people that want to work hard. There are people that will come into your life that absolutely their heart and their soul is connected to what you're doing. And, and they believe in you and they believe in the mission of the company. It's not everyone. It's not 99%, but there's the 1% out there. But I think to your point, Bessie, like for me, I have the context of, I saw this evolution for myself over a decade in my Fortune 500 experience. And I saw every layer of what I went through to finally get to the point where I had such strong leaders in place and such talent that my organization, I was running 17 locations and it was just, it was just a humming machine. Like, it almost was to the point where they didn't even need me anymore. I was literally like a like a consultant to them because we had worked so much, so long, so hard together that finally like they owned it and they knew they owned it and they they had that strength. And I think it's only because I had that experience of doing that before that coming into entrepreneurship, I had this vision in my mind already of like, no, I know what's possible and I'm not gonna give up and I'm not gonna settle and I'm gonna keep fighting for it but I think it's hard if you've never done it before, which is why I think it's important to look outside of the online space because most people in the online space, they do settle um, you know, for running something that is primarily hinging on them, which it seems easier in the short term. But let me tell you, when you wanna take a sabbatical, when you want to you know, take a step back and focus on family, if you have a child that's sick, if you wanna do a trip around the world, uh, and and it's you running the business or the business basically going on hold that's not so appealing anymore. But it's, it has to be something that you have a long range vision for. And you have to look at established companies all around the world in every established business industry out there. And you say to yourself, like, it's not the business owner picking up the phone and, you know, cleaning the floors and doing this and doing this. Um, you know, the the name might be on the building, but the the team is the person representing the brand. And it, it takes working through many stages to get to that point, but it is possible and it is available for all of us, but it starts with a vision and belief inside of ourselves. And then secondarily creating an environment in which people can thrive. 
and they can see that for themselves and it won't be for everyone and you will go through a lot of people in that process but the one percent employees are out there just like you are the one percent pursuing your dream yeah it it's an interesting piece and i want to pause for a moment on the aspect that i think relates to the part of this that is our responsibility as the business leader because i think you've touched on something that's really important but because it is one of your areas of natural brilliance i think maybe you uh think that it might be easier for people than it is because it's natural for you right so the connection that most people and i think this is even the case in big corporate settings or even huge bureaucracies with lots of the work I've done with governments and big you know, international funding bodies, that for so many leaders, their own identity is so tied up in their role or them being the person who makes or breaks or the decisions are theirs, things come through them, that people aren't able to do that piece that you've just spoken about of separating out this connection between us being so important and that we are the critical linchpin of everything. And that piece, I know in in my work, I've always said one of my main jobs is to make myself redundant. And it's the the exact piece you've spoken about. But but I I don't think that we should skim over that because it's a massive thing for most people is to separate out that sense of identity and ego that can be connected to our perceptions of leadership and what that looks like. Yeah, that's so true. It's such a good point, Bessie. And and I think one of the things that's really important to understand is that if you are a creator, you're going to want to create for the rest of your life. And this is what I always tell people. Your spirit will be crushed as a creator if you build yourself a jail cell. And the only way an organization can function is through you. Because what's going to happen is a few years from now, you're going to have a new vision for creation and you're going to desire to keep creating like as creators like that is the heartbeat for us that is like our soul like that instinctual thing about having an idea and then taking that idea and like turning it into reality that makes us feel alive and i see so many people that they've built something but it's it's so reliant on them and it and it can only function with them and then here they are wanting to keep creating but they can't they can't step away they can't pull back they can't give their attention to this new thing because this other thing is just going to fall apart if they step away from it and i think the big thing to understand is like you have to have the awareness over a period of years not weeks not months i've been working on this with my own company my coaching company for over five years now and they're still not completely self-led we're getting closer every year we're getting closer but we are not there yet and that's over five years of dedicated focus and so i think the thing is is you have to realize that your perception of everything is like from the place that you're in but if you can't begin now to build something that is going to be able to th thrive and succeed without you then ultimately what will end up happening is most likely you will get burnt out and you will end up closing it down and that's what happens to the majority of businesses. Most businesses do not have a mon monetization event. Most businesses do not exit. Most businesses hinge completely on the business owner. Business owner gets burnout. Business owner gets sick. Business owner gets tired. Business ends up going out of business. And, you know, that to me is the greatest shame of all 
because it's like a lifetime dedicated to work that instead of leaving a legacy that can continue, it just dissipates overnight. And the only way that you prevent that is by removing that ego of being needed and removing that ego of needing to be the center of the universe in your business and beginning to trust and allow other people to come into your world and being very, very patient. And Bessie, I would say that is the number one thing that I think kills this for people is a lack of patience. I shared for myself and I consider myself to be, I'm a pretty... I am um, an experienced leader. I've led people since I was 21 years old. Um, I, I've been in it for a long time and I'm five years in um, to transitioning my company to self-led and we're not there yet. It takes an immense amount of patience. And if you pull yourself out too soon, it'll collapse. And if you don't understand when to get out of the way so that people can lead, then people that have the talent and capability to lead aren't gonna stay. And so you're constantly doing this dance of you're kind of breaking your own limiting beliefs and you're breaking your own levels of self-awareness to find that right balance of push and pull so that the company can begin to thrive without you. You're giving it enough lifeline to keep going, right? But you're not crushing the spirit and the energy of the talent that you bring in and allowing them to lead at the level that they're capable of. Yeah. And that is the requirement of discernment and judgment in all of those moments of, and I'm sure you've had this in your career as well. I've had many moments where I've had to stay doing parts of the business that I have hated for far longer than I would like to, but and people it was won't what do was it, required. And that right there, that that right there that you just said, that is the day I literally just recorded a podcast episode about that. So many business owners are not willing to do what is required. And what is required is that at all different stages of business, you will have to step in. You'll have to step in over here. You'll have to step in over there. You'll have to do something for longer than you want to because that is what is required in that moment. And I see so many people, Bessie, that are like, but I want to, I'm trying to, da, 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 da. And it's like, but no, there's a difference between trying and committing. There's a difference between doing what's required and doing something half-heartedly, right? So I think that point that you just made is is so crucial in this process. Yeah, and it 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 is the piece that, um, and I know that from the work I've done with you and and watching the pieces that you and your team are putting out there around some of these components of running the drills, doing the work, the the pieces that do just have to consistently be in place. Yeah. The the aspect that I think we need to keep coming back to and reminding ourselves though as leaders is that any of these pieces, so there can be the advice of even if you don't feel like it, you have to just push through and do it. But then there's the same advice that seems like a contradiction that's saying you shouldn't be doing the things that you're not good at. And, and I think people love to jump to the easy answers or that there's one answer all the time. And, and it's why I am always say I'm the queen of both and like, Yes, they seem like contradictions, but hang on, the reason you're the leader, the reason why you're in this position is because your job is to actually do the thinking and reflecting and discern what is the right thing in this moment. And that is going to be different at different times. So sometimes you are going to be bored for quite extended periods of time and that is the right thing because it has to happen for the long game. But equally, there are moments where you could keep smashing your head against that brick wall doing all the things and you're actually decreasing the chance of you ever getting to that point. So 
we've all had those moments where we've done it well, where we've done it badly, and we have had to set fire to things. And, and so we can't um, assume we're always going to get it right. But I'm wondering, with there's a lot of aspects that you've spoken about and that we both agree on around this idea of nuance or the context is important. With team members, people are motivated by different things. I'm wondering, Kelly, if you can talk to us or give us some examples maybe around when you get to that clarity with a team member of what is going to motivate them to help us get to that point where we are able to be doing the things we are best suited for and others are doing, you know, stepping into their strengths. How have you made sure you've had clarity on what success actually looks like, what the outcome is, because it's going to be different for different team members, it's not across the board? And how do you actually then track and measure to make sure you're moving towards that? Yeah, well, I think for us, it's having our North Star and never diverging or going off course from that. And so I think a lot of people hire people to get help. They don't hire people to align with moving towards the North Star. And those are different things because what happens is when you hire people to get help with something, you've hired someone that's going to create more work and actually they may take tasks off of your place, but then they take more bandwidth to manage them. And then you're doing things that do those things even really need to get done. And then people are saying team is expensive and team isn't productive and team isn't moving forward. And it's like, yeah, because you constructed team that way, right? So you need to know what your North Star is. And then whenever you're going to hire someone, you need to know how is this role moving us forward towards that North Star? And what are the specific actions and the specific activities and the specific things that this particular role is going to own and do? that are going to move us towards that North Star. So before someone ever comes into the company, there is a direct correlation between where you're going as an organization, what role this plays, and how this role is going to move you forward towards that in a way that you couldn't do without them. And I think if you frame it up in that way, a lot of people wouldn't hire the people that they've hired. A lot of people wouldn't have the roles in their company that they have. They would have different roles. So again, it comes back to that idea of clarity and alignment and really being thoughtful and taking the time to do that thinking uh, about how you're going to achieve that alignment. And I think for a lot of business owners, when they hire, they want someone to come in and solve problems for them in the business. And yes, people come into our businesses to solve problems. But again, if you're not clear on the North Star and the outcome and the objective, then they can solve a lot of problems for you without actually moving the business forward. And I see that all the time. It's interesting too, because as you were speaking, the other thing that came to mind, I know I've done this many times, is that we can, when someone's coming into a new role, even if we think we've been really reflective and intentional in preparing for that, there can be this piece where we project onto people. I do this all the time, queen of projection. So I think I'm being kind and creating a space for them to win because I create the space I would want. Yeah, yeah, It's a little bit like love languages. I don't know about you, but in relationships where I get frustrated and I think, but I've loved you in this way and this way and how have you not felt that? And it's like, well, because I was projecting my love language of how I would feel loved onto you, but you have a different love language. And I think that piece can happen a lot with team where I know I've created because if someone – 
created a tiny little box for me and told me exactly what I had to do, I would kick and scream and I would feel trapped. So I try to give all this, you know, space and I think I'm doing the right thing. And I think I'm probably not alone in that, that as a, an entrepreneur and a business leader, we, we think, no, but I, I was allowing you to do your thing. And it's like, but again, if we haven't done that work you just described of going, what is this role? What is its connection? There's a very different piece of work or its pieces, plural, of work to be done to actually set someone up to succeed in the the wide range of roles that we're actually talking about here. And they are not going to look like what we require as the business owner. That's hard to learn. It is very hard to learn. And I think, you know, I think I've been guilty of that in the same way that you have, right? And it's like, I always say that business leadership is a process of learning and unlearning constantly because the very things that help you, and it's kind of, it's to your point earlier, Bessie, about the both and, because the very thing that helps you over here is hurting you over here. So you need to learn how to apply it here and then release it over here. Right. And it's like, it's that constant process. And that's why people always say, you know, uh, business leadership is the greatest personal development exercise of all time. And it's true because you have to be so willing to like strip away all of your own like perceptions of things and be able to see things through the eyes of other people in order to get through to people. And, and that's challenging. Right. And it's a learning process. But I think it's worth it because I think everything that you learn as a leader with your own team is what's also going to make you a better leader to the market, to your clients. Um, it's gonna allow you to keep growing in all the ways that you want to see the business grow because the business can't grow beyond us. It, it can't, we're the leader. So it, it's following it's following suit with us, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, Kelly, there's two other pieces that you've spoken a little bit about related to your team that I'm curious to get your opinion on. One is that there's a lot of research around the benefits of purpose and how uh, employees actually perform better and are more effective and connected to their work when they feel that sense of purpose in what they're doing. And it's not just this disconnected piece. But one of the bits I found interesting was McKinsey did some research where they found that people in the C-suite tended to be having a strong sense of purpose and knowing that their work was connected to these meaningful things. But as you went into different roles in an organization, often those executives were making the assumption I just spoke about that I've made in the past where they were thinking because they were clear on that North Star, they were clear on the vision and they felt really purposeful in their work. They were assuming that their team members felt it. Have you got any advice or things that you found helpful to actually make sure that piece, and I know that in, um, I think it was in uh, Bigger Than You, in your book, you spoke about some of the leadership aspects and that over-communicating, the clarity piece, we have to keep communicating. Could you give us some tips on how do we ensure that we're not in a place where we get cocky and we think that either ourselves or our executive are feeling purposeful and connected, but it has not filtered it is so good. I'm so, so glad that you brought that up, Bessie, because it's one of the biggest problems, right? When people disconnect from purpose in their work, they're going through the motions without intent. And anytime anyone does something without intention, might as well not do it at all. And this happens in our own companies every single day. And to your point, 
it's because we assume. Now, for me, I've learned a couple things. And and the first thing is I've learned that the whole organization needs me as the visionary to not just be a visionary to the market, but to be a visionary to them consistently. And so I make sure in my organization that everyone hears that from me every single month as if they never were on the team before. I'm like, this is our vision. This is our mission. This is our purpose. This is how we're changing lives. This is what happens when someone comes in our program. Then I have our actual client services team come in and talk about, these are the the lives that we're changing. These are the results that we're getting. This is what happened with this person. They talk about specific people and what the results were and then how it impacted them and then what they shared with them about how that's gonna impact their family and make it real for people. And it doesn't matter how long someone has been with you. It doesn't matter how long someone has been on your team. Everyone needs that and they need that over and over again. And I think the most shocking part, Bessie, is that we, the CEOs, need that too. We need it too, because as a CEO, you are dealing with, excuse my language, all the, you know what, all day long, every single day. And it's, you know why you're doing what you're doing, but 99% of what you're doing is not sitting there and celebrating the enjoyment of the results that you get for people. It's dealing with all the other things that come with that, most of which is not the most fun, exciting thing, right? And so I think that the first thing is, is recognizing that people do need to hear it from you and that you need to not just vision cast with the market. You need a vision cast with your own team. And it's, it's ongoing and forever. It's ongoing and forever. I used to always wonder when I was in corporate, why the CEO would record these videos and send them out to the whole company. And we were in 53 countries, right? We're the number one company, publicly traded company um, in our space. Why did the CEO do that? Because they knew the importance of everyone hearing the vision and the mission and the goals and the impact directly from them. So that's number one. Number two is don't assume that your leaders actually have the ability to articulate that vision. I know right now, for me even, I have strong leaders. I have some leaders that can, I have some leaders that can't. And so I know that even if someone is very talented at what they do, it does not mean that they have a strength in casting vision or creating emotional connection for the team or bringing those pieces together. Some people are more uh, tactical and strategic. Some people are more uh, are stronger at connecting vision and emotion and all of those things. You need to know what the strengths and weaknesses of your team are some people may need you to come in and do that with their teams, whereas some people may not need you to do that at all. And I have two leaders right now, both very, very strong. One doesn't need me to come in and do that at all, where another one absolutely does, right? So I think it's just, it comes back to the same thing, which I think is like business 101 is like, never make assumptions. Because whenever we make assumptions, we get ourselves in trouble. And this girl right here has done that plenty of times in her career. So I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. Oh yeah. Um, just don't assume. Don't assume that people feel connected. Don't assume that people remember why. Don't assume that people feel the purpose in their work. Assume, the only thing I think it's safe to assume is that you need to bring people back to the why over and over and over again. Otherwise, you're going to see the quality of their work decline. Yeah, it reminds me of one of the the books that I've bought the most times and given to probably a hundred different people over time is uh, Patrick Lencioni's The Advantage. And he talks about from an organisational health perspective, one of the pieces he points out is the need to over-communicate clarity. So you have to get to clarity in the first place, which we've talked about, but then it's that piece of over-communicating. And I think this comes back to that projection piece that we think because we're bored as the leader, 
that surely we're like, this is embarrassing. Are they going to be saying, yeah, Bessie, hurry up. You've already said this 15 times. No, they're not. The over-communication piece is necessary, but it can feel very strange. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's something that a lot of business owners struggle with, with their marketing and their messaging and with everything that they do, because it feels boring to us. It feels repetition. It feels like we're saying the same things over and over again, but to everyone else but us, it's not. And if you don't do that, then they're going to misunderstand or not have the experience that you are hoping that they will. Yeah, I think you do that beautifully, both in the market and then, as you said, in the team, because again, if we just go back to from a the consistency perspective, there are very few people who, if you get the opportunity to see them behind that facade or their online presence, are they actually a reflection of that? And I think in your case, what's beautiful is you're not only a reflection of that, I think you're more impressive behind the that that curtain but it is a it's a a good lesson I think you know for me in watching the way that you do that repetition piece oh yeah and even when I've not only just uh had interactions with you online but I've worked with you directly and it actually isn't you know that we need the repetition part of why each of us are are teaching these things is that even if we've heard it a hundred times we need the reminder we need the prompt and so Absolutely. when you're on the receiving end of it, you know that it's helpful and, and you're not looking at that person and going, oh, how embarrassing. Are you saying that again? Yes. But when it's you, it, it feels so embarrassing. And I find myself almost preempting the embarrassment by saying, I know I've said this before. And I'm like, oh, Bessie, stop saying that. That's your own, you know, issue there. <laughs> I, fi- I find myself doing the same thing. And then I realize that it's after those sessions that even the people that have been with you the longest are like, oh, that that conversation that hit me in the heart. That's what I needed. And you're like, that that conversation, that that same conversation. That but it, it's it really is true. So it's it's it, and I feel like that over communication piece it is a thread all the way through yeah. that people need. There's two more pieces, Kelly. If you've got time, that I'd just love to draw out. So one is uh, that. When when we look at the components of some of the work that you're doing with your team around building up this beautiful culture where there's the win-win and, and it's a, from a well-being perspective, from your team having the kinds of lives they want to have, that is also important to you. I know one of the pieces you're looking at is a four-day work week and working towards that. In the process, there's been some big global studies done recently around the four-day work week and looking at all of the benefits for that for an employee, but also for a business. And one of the bits that made me think of you when I was reading that research recently was that it talked about the fact that the very significant increases in revenue that were created in the 12-month trials for companies, you know, when they did a look at the 12 months previous and where were they now? It was nearly 40%. It was 37.55% increases in revenue that companies were having when they did this four-day work week. Mm-hmm. But the piece that they spoke about was that the increases weren't because they were making employees work harder in a shorter period of time. It was that as they prepared to transition to four days, they actually had to improve their systems and processes and they found efficiencies 
simply by preparing. And the person who came to mind when I read that was you, because I know when you were preparing to do your first sabbatical, it was that same piece of you actually, as you shift your mind to think about operating differently, you then question, oh, hang on, why was I in that meeting? Or why did we have that? So I'm wondering if you could talk to us just briefly about some of those thoughts of the why you're doing the four-day work week and then this working smarter, not harder, how we actually yeah. use this to come up with a more efficient business, not just pushing people to work harder in the process. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like we know it is fact that we have so much work waste and we have so much lost productivity and inefficiencies in the business. And we literally have spent the last year and we're spending the rest of this year working on optimizing systems, technology, processes, and people, because we know that we're wildly inefficient. And I say that being a company that we were on the Inc. 5000 list last year, like we, we have grown tremendously. We continue to, right? But, but I know for a fact that we're working plenty hard, but we're doing too much and there's still so much waste and so much fat. So I totally agree um, when you said that they found that the efficiencies came in the preparation because that's the process that we're in right now. Our target date is January 1. And basically we're spending the entire year this year on systems, processes, efficiency, and up-leveling people. And you know, so I think it is in the preparation and it's the willingness to look at the ugly parts of the business. And that's what I was saying earlier. Um, everybody loves the flashy, exciting, we're launching this and we're doing that and it's a book launch and it's this and it's this and it's this and don't get me wrong, this girl loves that stuff. Like put me on camera, put me on stage, like I love it. But there is nothing sexier than a business that runs like a well-oiled machine. And I know that because when I built my business in corporate and I got it to the point that I had these great leaders and it was self-led and I had so much freedom, that's how I built a seven-figure business while I was working full-time because they didn't need me anymore. I was like a consultant, right? So the thing is, is, you know, we know that so many businesses go out of business because of business owner burnout. And, you know, we know that, you know, one of the struggles that I think, you know, is pervasive everywhere, right, is mental and physical health. The majority of the population is obese. Uh, they don't, they're not physically active. Uh, they're not mentally healthy. They're not spiritually connected. And so, my whole thing is like, if you want to be a leader on a global level, which I do, um, I cannot do that unless the business is a model in each of those areas. Like it's not separate. All things are connected. And so to me, you can't lead in business if your business is not leading in human capital and the optimization of human capital human capital can't be optimized by just working into the ground human capital has to be optimized by actually growing and developing and expanding and i think that people's energy is equally important as their action and in fact energy is probably more important than their action and you can do less action if you have better energy and get a greater result and so this is my hypothesis we will see <laughs> We will interview me again in a year, Bessie, and let's exactly. see, let's we'll, see we'll where see we are. I, let's, let's hope that my hypothesis is, is correct. But this is what I believe. I believe that if we create a sustainable environment, we can create a predictable environment, we can create an environment where people want to live the rest of their careers, be highly productive, um, but also spiritually connected, 
mentally and physically healthy and, you know, have space for their families. I think that that that's what true leadership looks like. And I know we can't get that overnight because we're not um, our efficiency is not strong enough yet. But that's why I gave us a lot of time. And again, it comes back to what I shared earlier, which is patience. Anybody can do anything if they have enough patience and they're just not willing to quit. Right. And so for people that are listening to the show, it's like, what is the what is the thing in your life that if you just had enough patience and you weren't willing to quit um, that you've been hoping and dreaming for that would be possible for you if you just had enough patience and weren't willing to quit. And if you if you zero in on that one thing and and you go for it, you can have anything that you want. And um, I believe that, again, if you want to be a global leader, you know, that includes the way that you manage human capital. And I think we still have a long way to go with that. And for me, certainly, I don't have anything to teach anyone at this point. I'm trying to go through that learning process right now for myself. Um, but I believe that we can get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that is definitely a really strong thread through the conversation today, the aspects of the time frame. So not yeah. just the patients, but actually yeah. having that that long time frame. And I think that you're right, as well as being persistent and, and having the grit there, it is the components we've talked about. If you've given many examples of where you are being multidimensional, where you are looking for connections. Yeah. And so I think we also need to add in the the reminder for all of us around don't see things as disconnected. We're fixing this part of the business or we're trying to improve that part. You have to connect the dots and then you also need to really be conscious of that role of discernment and making judgment calls as a leader. So thank you, Kelly. It's been amazing to, I feel like I've only just, I'm like looking at my questions and going, oh Lord, there's like all these things that we could talk about, but it's been wonderful to chat. If people want to learn more or connect with you and and your different businesses, what is the best way for them to connect with you? I mean, I always say come over and listen to the Kelly Roach show. If you have an interest in business and leadership and life and all the things, that's that's my, my legacy body of work. So I would love to invite you all over there and you can find me. I'm all over social media and you know my companies are out there so just search kelly roach but um thank you bessie it was it was a great conversation i feel like we could talk for like eight hours there's so many things that we could dig into but yeah absolutely and i hope it was helpful for everybody listening today i'm sure it was and we'll put some links in the show notes but please do connect in with kelly and her team even if it's just to watch and learn and be inspired but uh thank you so much kelly we really appreciate thank your you time. so much thanks guys Thank you for taking the time to listen to both success and integrity with Bessie Graham. If you found what I shared today valuable, or you think that it would be good for a fellow business leader to listen to, then please share the episode with someone you know. Another way to help the podcast is to provide a rating and written review on your podcast app of choice. The written review is important because it helps others learn more about what we're trying to achieve. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to me at any time on LinkedIn, YouTube or Instagram just by searching Bessie Graham or you can go to BessieGraham.com. I'm Bessie Graham and remember, you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life.